Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Starting today's show by warning all of you, I haven't looked to see who didn't play on Saturday or Sunday. We're going to find out when we get back to Friday, aren't we? Yes, indeed. It's Reverse Chronological Lightning Round Monday. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is a sports ethos presentation, and I am your host, Dan Bespris. Good day to you all. Good day, everyone. But yesterday wasn't that good of a day from a fantasy standpoint, because yesterday, and this happens every once in a while, I... I I know that there's no real rhyme or reason to the following statement, but things do occur in little groups, or at least it feels that way. Statistically speaking, it's basically equally likely that something would happen in a group as it would on different days. It's kind of like the roulette wheel in at a casino where they show the last 10 numbers that came up on the little stake And most folks will walk in and instinctively bet the opposite of the last number that came up. Oh, it was whatever, you know, black, then red, and then someone walks in. They're like, oh, well, the next one should probably be be black again. But if you you really stare at that tracker, there are plenty of times where you have four, five, six reds in a row, four, five, six black numbers in a row. And I think that that kind of applies a little bit to all things, where we just sort of instinctively expect that things that are random occurrences will occur kind of evenly spaced out. But it doesn't happen that way. And the NBA is no different. And in fact, it probably, if we really dug into it, things occurring in groupings is probably more likely, and the things I'm referring to right now are injuries, Because players probably get a little bit tired at around the same time in these kind of ebb and flow of an NBA season. And then injuries do tend to happen when players are a little more fatigued and their muscles aren't firing the way they normally would. And it's not protecting the tendons and the ligaments the way that they normally would, the body normally would when these guys are at full strength. Not everybody is, you know, the first 16 years of... uh, LeBron James career or what you know like that man is a robot and even now it's kind of insane what he's able to do at his age without being more injured he should be more in I mean I don't want him to but like the way he moves every time I watch a Laker game right now I'm just like ah man I'm that dude is almost as old as me and look what he's doing and it takes me six minutes to get out of bed not that old, but I feel it. Nah, blame it on the kids. Anyway, yesterday a bunch of guys got hurt, or a bunch of guys were hurt, or some combination thereof, and we'll get to all of that in our reverse chronological lightning round. Anybody new listening in, welcome aboard. I hope you will follow me on Twitter, at Dan Besbris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We do so much on social media. I'm going to yell at you day after day until you get your butt on there, and just make sure you use TweetDeck instead of regular Twitter. The Twitter app is a pain in the butt. Twitter for desktop is a pain in the butt. TweetDeck is is terrific. 
I pray to the good Lord that this thing never goes away because it doesn't show you anything you don't want to see. And that's everybody's great fear with Twitter is seeing crap they don't want to see. But TweetDeck, you can, you can really customize. And you can run a bunch of different accounts at the same time, which is great when you're uh, helping run an entire podcast division for a website. That might not be a problem for many of you. But again, being able to eliminate the crap you don't want to see makes Twitter extremely useful for fantasy basketball. So get your butt on there. Again, follow me at Dan Vespers and follow Sports Ethos at Sports Ethos or at Ethos Fantasy BK. Let's dive in. We're going backwards. Night game Sunday through the early game Sunday and then night game Saturday through the early and so on and so forth until we cover all 30 teams and get you reset for the week ahead. We embark upon, what is this, week 13 now? ridiculous we're halfway through a lot of teams are at 41 games on the nose so roto you're halfway through head-to-head you're actually more than halfway through your regular season especially if you cut off one two or even more than that weeks at the end of the silly season you're like head-to-head you're almost into the stretch run in a lot of formats but whatever we're getting sidetracked we can do our side tracking on a different day monday shows we got to get into the mix here atlanta beat the clippers on the road the clippers have now lost six games in a row just like their fellow Pacific Division pals, the Phoenix Suns, also lost six games in a row. Meanwhile, the Lakers have actually won five games in a row, and the Pacific is a real screwball at the moment, with the Kings at 20-18, and 18, the Warriors 20-20, and 20, the Clippers 21-21, and 21, the Suns 20-21, and 21, the Lakers 19-21. and 21. And if you said to yourself, Dan, those teams sound very close, you'd be very right. The entire Pacific Division is separated by two games. Kings are in fifth place. Lakers are in 11th. But it's 5, 6, 7, 8, and 11, technically, based on tiebreakers and things like that. But that's nuts. Not super relevant for fantasy, but I guess kind of good for fantasy because all these teams are going to be duking it out at the end of the year. So they can't just... You know, Suns have in previous years had an opportunity to rest a bunch of guys there. Guys are getting plenty of rest right now in the infirmary. Lakers, they're within striking distance now after a good run. This is good. We want teams to be fighting for spots at the end of the year, regardless of format. A couple of little notes on this ballgame. Not big stuff. Uh, Terrence Mann started at point guard for the Clippers over Reggie Jackson, who only got to play eight minutes. John Wall played 22 off the bench. It didn't work. Terrence Mann was a minus four. Uh, Nick Batum, not surprisingly, was a team best plus nine. He just, you know, if you're in a punt points format, I think his ankle is, is good enough now where he can probably be slotted back in. Although I tend to like Batum more when both Kawhi and Paul George are on the court, he just plays better off of superstars. It's, again, that, like, needing to be open and being able to just be in the right place kind of thing. When he has to go do more, I, I just... It doesn't fit his current game for whatever reason. So, uh, Batum probably an ad now on the Roto Games cap side. I don't know that I would add him in head-to-head because you're uh, he's not going to score for you. He's not going to rack up the counting stuff that most teams are kind of hunting on the head-to-head side, but percentages-wise, he's really nice, and that can kind of pile up over the course of a roto season. Uh, I do think Norman Powell is someone you should be streaming when either of the two superstars is out for the Clippers. I don't think it sticks when everybody's back 
Uh, and frankly, he didn't have a very b good ball game here either, but he comes in off the bench and his usage is typically through the roof. So uh, that's someone that you can kind of spot play a little bit. Zubats has been better. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe his downturn, that like three or four week stretch, he was either a little beat up, a little hurt, a little sick, then he took a few games off and then he seems to be better now. So keep rolling with that. We also know that his game is, his fantasy game tends to be more robust when one of the superstars is out because they can't really just go small. It doesn't work if they need these other guys to fill in other positions on the court. On the Terrence Mann front, and I know you guys are like, Dan, why the hell did you mention Mann and then not talk about him? His fantasy game is okay. It's not terrific. It's okay. He tends to be a lower usage kind of guy, but he got boards, assists, steals. He'll hit some threes now and again. His percentages are not bad. Um, I don't get the feeling that Paul George is going to be out all that much longer, which might make all of this kind of a moot point, but if you wanted to try to squeeze a game out of him, I wouldn't be super opposed to it. And then you're also going to have games where Kawhi sits on back-to-backs. These dudes are both going to be hurt or sick at some point again the rest of the year. It, like Kawhi and PG just don't last more than a couple weeks at a time without something popping up. Maybe, honestly, might be even worse for PG these days. Because at least Kawhi can blame a lot of his stuff on recovery from a full year injury. Paul George is just always dealing with a hammy or a knee or a back. That's, in my opinion, that's actually kind of more annoying. I know it's weird because, like, obviously this year Paul George has been a better fantasy player than Kawhi Leonard. But I think from now until the end of the season, I'd probably rather have Kawhi. Is that a hot take? I don't know. If it is, um, go trade Paul George for Kawhi Leonard. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that's the deal with Terrence Mann. I don't think I'd use that head-to-head -head move on him with the likelihood that his role shrinks. But at the same time, you know, if you run into a patch where the Clippers have a good stretch, that would be useful on the head-to-head -head side. And in Roto, if you can deploy him just when a star is out and he's starting, that's probably useful as well. For Atlanta, Anika Okongwu still trucking along here with no Clint Capel. I know this wasn't as good of a ball game, but look, you're not going to argue with nine boards and three blocks, kind of regardless of what else goes on. DeAndre Hunter has been on a nice little heater. We've seen him do these before. His game is fully predicated on shooting a super high percentage from two-point range. That will come and go. I am not adding him in Roto. In head-to-head, -head, again, if you catch it at the right moment, that's fine. But I'm not spending a games cap on it. Because I think we all know the second you slot him in, the two-point shooting is going to erode a little bit, and then you're going to get 11 points, three boards, one steal. That's going to be the line. Poor Phoenix. DeAndre Ayton turned an ankle in this ballgame, and I mean... If you want to talk about the sky falling, the sky has fallen on the Phoenix Suns. They got nobody left. It's Mikael Bridges trying to keep this whole thing afloat by himself, which just isn't going to work because that's not his ball game. And I meant, you know, I was gushing. We were all gushing about his fantasy game to start the year. But the problem is that he needs other people to draw the defense. He's still not a creator himself. He's maybe the single greatest role player in the NBA which I mean as a compliment. He is incredible working off of Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Shooting percentage was, in, was blasting into the stratosphere. Steals, threes, boards. I'm like, he does all those things right, but if there's no one to get the party started on offense, 
Now, I know he shot 7 for 10 in this one. Thank goodness that was better. He's been on a, a bad shooting slump without those guys around him. And that's just kind of the story with Phoenix right now. None of these guys is particularly successful without the gravity players in there. So what the hell do we do? Well, uh, I still think that at the end of the day, Landry Shamit's probably going to get enough shots game to game right now where he'll kind of overwhelm the fact that his percentage or his field goal percent won't be very good, but he's a decent foul shooter. He makes a ton of threes. He actually get, does get some steals. And Cleveland's a good defense, so that depressed the number. I'm fine with starting Landry Shamit right now. Chris Paul is day-to-day. Aiton is day-to-day, so hopefully those guys will be back relatively soon, but I don't know that I extend this much farther. Like, if Aiton has to miss any time, maybe does, does Dario Saric see any time at center? Is it all Jock Landale? He was decent in this game in 18 minutes, but can we trust him to actually get a full number of starters minutes? Probably not. I mean, maybe, but we don't know. It's hard. Dwayne Washington had 25 just went gunning like a crazy person, 18 shots and 25 minutes off the bench. Can't trust that full-time. Yeesh. Certainly not 9-cat. I mean, points league, you'd, you'd go grab somebody you think is going to take a ton of shots. 9-cat, you got to worry about a little bit more than that. I think we kind of got to see a little bit more other than, you know, again, I do still think that Shamit's probably an okay star. Like, he's not going to blow the roof off the building, but he'll get hot in one of these ball games, and then you know, we'll be happy if that one's rolled in with the other ones. Cleveland, they got their guys back. Darius Garland playing through the thumb stuff. He had 22-7. and seven. Donovan Mitchell, basically just 22. And off his 71-point game, Donovan has slid a little bit. He's still number 13 overall, but he's kind of finally trending back out of the first round, which sort of felt inevitable. He's still having an amazing season. I don't want to try to take anything away from, from Donovan Mitchell. But the steals have come down. The scoring's come down. The field goal percent has come down. A lot to love about what he's done this year, but it hasn't been the same really after like the first six weeks. The last six weeks, he's more like a third rounder, which is still really good. And that's basically where he was being drafted was early, late second, early third. And then, of course, if you roll that in with the fact that he got off to such a hot start this year, well, then the overall production remains much better than that. But he's probably going to be more like that early third rounder the rest of the way if I had to guess because the dude was shooting like 53 percent that was never going to stick having an awesome year though Karis Levert was still okay in this ball game I would not trust that to go any farther uh and if you can get anything for him you try to do it Houston who cares they're a big fat fantasy who cares right now Jay Sean Tate isn't doing enough to be relevant KJ Martin isn't doing enough to be relevant maybe they move Eric Gordon please lord move Eric Gordon there are kind of hilarious memes circling on the internet about how guys are just standing wide open and Kevin Porter Jr. is doing, you know, 15 dribbling moves and not getting the ball to them. Instead, things are bad in Houston these days, but fantasy-wise, there's nothing. Fantasy-wise for Minnesota, there is something. We had a few things we were tracking there. One was whether or not Nas Reed was going to see enough playing time with Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson both healthy, and the answer is eh, probably not. Because Jaden McDaniels has been great. Uh, Slow-mo has been... I mean, if you're in a punt points format, Kyle Anderson is just terrific. And he was good enough even if you're not punting points. But if you are, wow, magical. Six point or six rebounds, six assists, four steals, a block, two of four shooting, and two for two at the free throw line. 
No three-pointers, only six points. So I get it. The, the funny thing about punt points, and I know he had three turnovers in this game too, but that not a number that's usually quite that high, is if someone is awesome at scoring and threes, they kind of get a pass. Now, admittedly, they're fine in points leagues because you don't have to be good at everything to be useful in a points format. In 9-cat, you'll see guys that score a lot and do very little else get this almost like a fantasy hall pass. It's like, oh, yeah, but look at like look at these numbers. But that's basically what slow-mo does in other categories and more of them. He's a guy who's going to be fantasy slighted every time because the two categories he's weakest at are typically the ones that people pay the closest attention to, which is the scoring categories, points and threes. Points and assists, actually, are probably the two that people pay the most attention to, but threes, I think, is right behind it because it comes with the scoring. Points is just so far out above everything else and what people look at first. And so the fact here, when you look at his numbers... Good rebound number for a guy playing a wing spot. Great assist number. Terrific steals. A block is a win, actually, coming from his spot. Good field goal percent. Made his free throws. One, two, three, four, five. That's like six out of nine categories where he had a good or or better ball game. If I didn't tell you which six categories, and I said, here, I can give you a guy who's good at six cats, you'd be like, hell yeah, that guy's probably going to be a pretty highly ranked player. And typically his turnovers aren't bad either, so it's like six and a half almost. But here's the kicker, or here's the catch. He doesn't score. You'd be like, oh, are you talking about Draymond? No. Nah. Draymond can't shoot free throws. <laughs> anyway, onward and upward we go to the next ball game. Is it upward? Is it even onward? Dallas without Luka, they got spanked. No surprise there. So the Mavs... Um, I mean, I know they're still sort of coming off the, all the big wins. Uh, I still don't fully trust them. It's hard. This isn't like a bad loss or anything, but they're, I don't think, like, I, will they ever win a game if Lucas sits? Have they won a game when Lucas sits? Regardless, plenty of shots for Spencer Dinwiddie, plenty of shots for Tim Hardaway Jr., plenty of opportunity for Christian Wood. Those guys are startable when Lucas out, even if the team at large, looks kind of bad. On the Thunder side, uh, Jalen Williams, he's still a start. He's doing uh, enough in most categories to be a go these days. Kenrich Williams, Oklahoma City truly is the land of screwball uh, name games because they have two players named Jalen Williams. They have three players on the roster with the last name Williams. They have Trey Mann, who's not Terrence Mann. They have Aaron Wiggins, who's not Andrew Wiggins. I, they're just they're sort of screwing with us a little bit, and it's sort of kind of funny. Uh, but Kenrich Williams is actually someone I'm keeping one eye on. I know he went six out of eight in, in this one, so the 14 points is uh, very much on the high side. But he was technically the starting center for the Thunder in this game. He only played 25 minutes because, you know, roulette wheel and all that stuff. But keep one eye on it. Right now, he profiles as someone you could probably start as, you know, a schedule type guy, not Roto. The question I'm wondering is, does he ever get to a point where you just, like, play him until Robinson Earl or Pokashevsky comes back? Probably not, but he's on the radar. Well, this was the game that left everybody with a, a nasty feeling in their tummies, and that was Brooklyn-Miami. Three 
top fantasy players got hurt to varying degrees in this ballgame. Tyler Hero made it through most of the game, ended up leaving late with a sore knee. Bam Adebayo hurt his hand on a dunk. He's doubtful. Hero, at least, is questionable. And then the worst of the worst, Kevin Durant had his knee buckle. Jimmy Butler fell into it from the side. What a shame when I have one of my favorite Roto Fantasy guys hurt one of my other favorite fantasy guys. Uh, But at least the news today was not that bad. KD is out for at least two weeks is the initial assessment. He'll be reevaluated then. Uh, They're calling it an isolated MCL sprain, which I think is sort of like kind of cloudy cover for a low-grade sprain. And they're hoping to have him back probably between two and four weeks from now. And honestly, yeah, it sucks, but it could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse because KD's already at 39 ballgames. Let's say he misses like a dozen. What has he missed for the Nets so far this year? Brooklyn's played 40. He's only missed one game prior to that. So legitimately, he could miss another 12, come back and play in basically the league average number of basketball games. And if it makes you any, if anybody feels any better about the whole thing, the top five per game, nine category players, four out of the five of them are out. Steph's been out for what? Three and a half, four weeks. AD's been out for a month. Embiid's been out for a week, and now Durant's going to be out for three weeks. Meanwhile, there's Nikola Jokic just barreling along again. Not currently hurt, he says as he knocks on wood. What a pain in my butt this ballgame turns out to be. I am not racing out to pick anybody up as a result of this stuff. My initial thoughts on the Brooklyn side don't actually parallel the fantasy community at large. Most folks are out and grabbing TJ Warren I do believe, and you guys know I love TJ Warren. I think he does get more shots, and that's going to be useful. And frankly, from a points league standpoint, he's probably worth an add. Nine cat, I'm not convinced on the Warren front. He might start. You might see Utah Watanabe get in there. You might see Seth Curry. You might see Joe Harris get in there, depending on how they want to sort of line everybody up. Because they could play Royce O'Neal. KD was technically the starting small forward. He and Royce O'Neal were kind of interchangeable. But if they wanted to just have Royce O'Neal kind of as the full-time power forward, they could start Joe Harris. Easy peasy. They have Ben Simmons, who's technically the point guard. He could just be the power forward. They could go small and start Seth Curry. I don't think there's a guarantee that TJ Warren's the guy coming out of this. What I do think happens is that Royce O'Neal is going to have to do a little bit more. And this is like earlier in the year when Kyrie Irving was out uh, for reasons we won't go back into. uh, And O'Neal had a bunch more assists and the defensive stats were better. And then when that team got fully healthy, his assists and his defensive stats completely disappeared. It's hard to explain exactly how all of that went away at the same time. The assists kind of make sense. The defensive stats don't as much. But look, let's say that they decide to go small, pushing everybody on the floor right now to a larger defensive position typically is good for fantasy value. So I think Royce O'Neal is actually the guy, nine cat-wise at least, that does see a little bit of a bump and maybe moves up and over the cut line. He's not someone I think you have to add immediately because there's not going to be this big rush on Royce O'Neal's in your league, but he's the guy I think probably makes it. Victor Oladipo. 
seems like a dude that can be started in gamescap formats right now i was on the fence for a long time i was in for a week then i was out for a week he made our ads list on a friday and then he made the drops list on a friday i think he's back to an ad again and it does seem like every week he's getting a little bit more comfortable the problem, of course, is that maybe he's also doing a little bit too much at times, and it's hurt Kyle Lowry, who's kind of trying to refine what his spot is on this team. Uh, Lowry's a hold. He's still playing full starters minutes. He's in a shooting slump, and he's, again, trying to find kind of what his spot is. And then, obviously, if, if Hero misses time or Adebayo misses time, then everybody has to just do a little bit more. Uh, but Lowry's a hold. As far as the backup for Bam, you know, earlier this year, Nikola Jovic got some playing time, but he's hurt right now. Orlando Robinson is, I think, the backup to the backup center on that team. Uh, but they'll they'll screw with it a little bit. They might play Highsmith at center. I think you can probably watch one game. And with Bam doubtful, makes me feel like he's going to miss more than one. So we might have time to kind of get a data point and then work with it. Let's move along to the next one because these ones are taking longer than they should or we're going to have an hour and 45-minute podcast. Memphis, no John Morant, so Tyus Jones was an easy call. Simple enough. Uh, we move on. I think they're on a back-to-back, so Bain will probably get a rest day. Utah, Walker Kessler. He'd been sliding a little bit, but not this one. 10-11 and 11 with six blocked shots. Mega game for Kessler. Hold. Kelly Olenek tweaked an ankle late. He was coming back. Finally wasn't in foul trouble for a night. Was putting up this jumbo game. And uh, then turned an ankle again, so he'll probably miss a couple. Jordan Clarkson got ejected. I think that should turn out okay. Um, and then Kessler playing more kind of hurt Jared Vanderbilt. But now with Olenek going back down, that's going to help Kessler. That's going to help Vanderbilt. That's going to help basically anybody who registers as a big man on this team because they'll just split his minutes up. Smaller guys will get some as well. But this sort of guarantees that Kessler, who would slip to like 17, 18, 13 minutes... He jumps back up to 20 or higher. Uh, you probably see more Malik Beasley when the team runs a little smaller out there. So he probably now moves back up and above the safe streamline. And, um, you know, for yours truly, I just go back to sitting on Kelly Olynyk again and being annoyed about it. Charlotte. Not a whole lot to take away here. LaMelo was in foul trouble. Dennis Smith Jr. was able to pick up a few extra minutes. Right now, those guys are basically just splitting the point guard minutes, and that's not going to be enough for Dennis Smith. If there's a point along the way at which they give Ball minutes at shooting guard or Dennis Smith Jr. minutes at shooting guard or something to just kind of push a few extra minutes on him then I think that's the the point. He's a guy that I'm keeping an eye on. We talked about it last week as someone that I, I think probably does eventually ramp up to some kind of fantasy value. The question is, is there a Roto Games cap target or is it more of a schedule stream and for assists, steals, and blocks, things like that? I think right now that's the direction this is trending. Uh, no other real notes on Charlotte. Everything else kind of went as you'd expect. Over on Indiana, Andrew Nemhart, Aaron Neesmith, they had really good ball games here. I don't think it should be a surprise that that happened against a team that doesn't play even a lick of defense and turns the ball over rampantly. Nemhard and Neesmith each had four steals in this ballgame. I don't expect that to happen again probably the rest of the year. So, no, those guys stay more as schedule streamers for me. I don't upgrade them off one big game against Charlotte. Nothing for me out of the Portland-Toronto game. Not one thing to take away.
Nothing. Great. That saves us some time. Philly beat Detroit without Joel Embiid uh, and without P.J. Tucker. So Montrezl Harrell got the start, and he did what you'd expect him to do, which was score a bunch on high field goal percent. And then Philly was handling themselves, so B-Ball Paul got some run. A little bit of garbage time for Paul Reed. He knows what to do with it. Awesome per-minute fantasy contributor, but he's third in the pecking order there. Behind Embiid, obviously. Behind Harrell. Uh, and I'm honestly kind of behind P.J. Tucker when he's in there, so maybe the fourth thing right now. So no, I'm not adding Paul Reed as much as I love his fantasy game and his performance in this one. Uh, Montrez probably would have been back in if this ball game was somewhat tight late, but you can look at the minutes for the rest of these dudes to understand even if it looks like a 12-point game, it wasn't really. Melton had an off night. Don't worry about it. This was a blowout. He was playing poorly. They didn't have to put him back in late. But James Harden's minutes should tell you the story. He played just 28 minutes. That means the game was well in hand. The, the regulars didn't have to play late. Don't freak out. Killian Hayes. You can freak out about Killian Hayes right now. He's on a serious heater since coming back from his suspension. He'll cool off because he's not going to shoot 65%. Uh, but he's rolling right now. And... No Jalen Duran in this ballgame. That reminded us that Isaiah Stewart can actually be a fantasy contributor when he's seeing a bunch of center minutes. But when Duran comes back and Stewart shifts back to power forward, he likely goes back to being a drop. Uh, and Alec Burks, 22 minutes, only six shots. So the usage coming back down to earth for Burks probably then kind of locks him in more as a schedule stream type of play as well. Let's turn the page over to Saturday. Only a five-gamer, so I know we're going to have some stuff to do on Friday. Rubs hands together menacingly as he waits to try to figure out which teams didn't play over the weekend. Time Lord, baby. Ten points, 11 boards, three assists, two steals, four blocks, and five out of six shooting. Here he comes. 22 minutes is all it took to get that done. Oh, man, you guys know I can't contain my enthusiasm when it comes to Robert Williams. He now, by the way, in nine games, 19 and a half minutes he's at right now. He's number 60 in nine cat. It's happening, people. It's happening. We really only needed 20 minutes of ball game, and he's starting to trend above that. And I'm just, oh, I'm just beside myself with joy. Al Horford, everybody's freaking out about Big Al. He still played 32 minutes in this ball game, guys. Those two are going to play together. Please, please. Just relax on the Horford stuff. This is exactly how the season started. Exactly how the season started. He didn't get steals and blocks for like two weeks to start the year. Everybody had a freaking panic attack. And then Horford went on like a seven-week run of being a top 50 fantasy producer. And the second he goes back to being a top 100 guy again, the sky, oh no, here we go. Just chill the crap out, people. It's going to be fine. Marcus Smart got hurt in this ballgame. Knee contusion. He's already been ruled out for the Celtics' next ballgame, which I believe is tonight. Um, and that's great news if you have Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White on your fantasy roster or can put Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White on your fantasy roster because when Smart is out, those two guys each get a pretty sizable bump. Each, most likely, startable. For San Antonio, Keldon Johnson is already back to questionable with his hamstring stuff, which I guess is good news. Um, I don't. I mean, if he's questionable, I don't think he plays. Um, so just assume he's still out. 
Regardless, the fact that he's even remotely close is good news because I figured, oh, no, tweaked a hammy and the team is tanking. They could just shut him down for a while. And the other part of that that, in my opinion, is good news means we don't have to worry about all this peripheral crap going on with the Spurs. And maybe one more ball game, Josh Richardson or Romeo Langford or Malachi Branham or someone has a decent game, but we don't really have to worry about it. Thank goodness because it was going to be super annoying having to go through Sohan, Jay Rich, Branham, Langford, Bates Jop after every ball game and try to convince everybody to just leave most of it alone. Because not many of those guys actually have good fantasy values. The other good news out of San Antonio is that Jakob Pertl, he was listed out with sore Achilles in his last ball game. He's now probable, so that was most likely just hand-waving, you know, Rest day, redacted kind of deal. Uh, so Pirtle's fine. He's been crushing lately. That means Zach Collins, this was his one and done until the next back-to-back for the Spurs, which I haven't looked up. Maybe that's tomorrow, for all the hell I know. Um, but again, if there's no Keldon Johnson, Josh Richardson, probably kind of safe, but like you're going to do a lot of work for something that is not at all a lock with any of those guys. Again, Richardson, Sohan, McDermott, Langford, Bates, Job, none of those guys is a lock, even with seemingly everybody out for the Spurs. I didn't go backwards. I I screwed this up. I started at the beginning instead of the end. Let me jump to the end. Lakers beat the Kings 136-134, which really surprised me. My timeline was going nuts with weird refereeing in, late in this ball game that was just like awful calls on every spot, Uh, but whatever, the Lakers right now are picking on teams that don't have a rim protector. I've been trying to watch a lot of Lakers basketball because I think uh, ultimately I do kind of want to do a little bit more Lakers coverage. It was something I did like three years ago here with Sports Ethos and then set it aside for a while, Uh, so I am going to bring that back a tad, not on this podcast, but from a fantasy standpoint, it's actually relevant. Because if you look at the Lakers' recent hot run, they've won five games in a row. Um, even before that, they uh, had, I think, beat the Magic. So they're six of the last seven. The only loss was to the Heat when they just had a, a crap ton of turnovers in there. But if you look at the Lakers, the big point total games, which came against the Magic, uh, the Hawks twice, the Hornets, um, now the Kings... And they got a win in there against the Heat, but they only scored 112 points in that ballgame, which for the Lakers right now, and, and for a lot of teams in the NBA, is actually a slightly lower number. The Lakers are able to pick on teams that don't have two things, basically. A key rim protector or like a reasonable pick-and-roll defense. And the Kings have neither. As much as I like the Kings, and I have that season win total over that's going to be hanging in the balance all year. So Kings, please stop screwing up things. Although if you're going to screw one up, I guess you can do it against my my precious Lakers. But this is why you're seeing these these monster numbers. Because, like, Charlotte, Mason Plumlee, rim protector? Nah. Atlanta without Clint Capella. Okongo was not scaring anybody at the rim. And then the Lakers had slightly lower scoring games against the Heat because Bam Adebayo, actual defender. I know he didn't block a ton of shots, but he's there, and he is altering them. Make no mistake. So what does that mean for the Lakers going forward? Are you going to change the way you deploy your fantasy players? Probably not. But 
They've got the Nuggets, no rim protection. They've got the Mavericks, a little bit in Christian Wood. They'll have a little. The Sixers, we'll see who's actually healthy for that ballgame, so that's a big maybe. The Rockets, nope. The Kings again, nope. The Grizzlies, yes. Look for that game to be a really rough one. Although Memphis might just want to get out and run, so perhaps it doesn't really do a thing. The Lakers don't really play a, like a, a traditional center until the Grizzlies, who can get caught up in the running game. And then they don't really have another one until, I don't know, Jakob Purtle? But the Spurs are tanking, so the Celtics on the 28th of January. I don't know who's going to be playing over that stretch because we did get some good Anthony Davis news today. But if you're looking at Lakers to throw out there, first of all, Dennis Schroeder is on an insane heater right now because if he's not shooting the lights out, he almost doesn't do anything in this game fantasy-wise. So you can play him if you want, but just be warned that if he's not going perfect at the foul line and four threes and eight out of 11 shooting, then you know, you're looking at like 14 points and a rebound and three assists or something like that, which nine cat, that's going to kill you. Thomas Bryant, he's an obvious start. Russ is cruising. Uh, oh, sorry. LeBron is cruising. Russ was very good in this ball game. He's Sometimes you get good bus, Russ, sometimes you get bad Russ. And then a lot of guys are out. So that was why the question keeps coming up. Do we take the chance on Schroeder? Nine cat, would I start him against the Nuggets? I probably would not. I just, like, we know enough about Dennis to know that these this type of hot run, specifically from three-point land, is not going to last. What Bryant and LeBron are doing is sustainable because they're just going straight to the rim every time, oftentimes without a whole lot of resistance. On the Kings side, we were tracking whether or not Keegan Murray would uh, continue to rebound And not only was the answer no, but the answer was a resounding zero in that category. He had had like seven and eight in a couple of games or something like that. Oh, maybe Keegan's starting to grab a couple of boards. Zero. Damn it. So that's a whole lot of nothing. Golden State lost at home to Orlando. Oopsies. They're suddenly looking a little vulnerable. Now, admittedly, this was a uh, late scratch game for Klay Thompson. Uh, Andrew Wiggins made his return and played 19 pretty good minutes. So you can probably get him fired up. Maybe this next one, if not this next one, then the one after that. But when Clay's back and Wiggins' minutes are back, I don't think Dante DiVincenzo is a, a must-deploy streamer, and I'm definitely not doing anything with Anthony Lamb, who had a, a colossal ball game here. But this was just screaming everybody that wants to shoot besides Jordan Poole is either out or on a minutes limit. So yeah, nah. For Orlando, Bull Bull is expected back from COVID in their next ballgame, and then we'll kind of get a look at what they are these days. Jalen Suggs slowly increasing his minutes. Markel Fultz seemingly not impacted by Fultz, or uh, Fultz not impacted by Suggs, excuse me. Cole Anthony wasn't really impacted by Suggs in this ballgame, although overall I do think those guys are going to kind of end up battling for a similar bucket. Uh... And then I don't know exactly where Bull Bull fits into this thing. Gary Harris probably moves to the bench, and Bull starts and gets his 24 minutes. He's kind of a top 100 guy in those 24 minutes. I'm not moving off of that valuation. I don't know who really like takes the, the true hit. It's probably guys that weren't really on your radar anyway, like Terrence Ross uh, or Gary Harris. Mo Wagner is now not really relevant anymore with a healthy Wendell Carter Jr., 
Uh, so when all when the dust settles, I think Markel Fultz I'm good with. Cole Anthony I'm probably not deploying in a Roto Games Cap format. He's fine to schedule stream on head-to-head side. Paolo, yes. Wendell Carter Jr., yes. Franz Wagner, yes. Of course, those are the easy ones. Wagner's a drop. Suggs I'm not interested in. He has the same... He and Jaden Ivey in Detroit, their fantasy games remind me of each other quite a lot. They'll get you steals, they'll get you some blocks, they'll get you some boards, some assists. The percentages are a wreck, and they're not shooting the ball from downtown. Uh, so I'm not really worried about Suggs either. Chicago, not a win over Utah. We already talked about the Jazz, so we can jump over them. But on the Bulls' side, we got some new... Patrick Williams is a guy we were kind of watching going into the weekend, which the question was, hey, is this someone who could actually have sustained fantasy value even when the team is healthy because for most of this season I've said no and for a couple games there it looked like maybe the answer went from no to maybe and now I think it's probably back down towards no again I learned to stick to my guns and that's kind of the only news uh, on that Chicago side we talked Dallas already we haven't talked New Orleans yet Herb Jones had a really nice ball game here he should continue to have them as long as Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are out I would have thought Trey Murphy would continue to have decent ball games, but he's been quite bad lately. And I, you can probably bench him until he gets a little bit of that confidence back. I think this is just a young player going through one of the dips of an NBA season. And then I can a ton of questions on Najee Marshall, and rightfully so. Uh, my answer remains unchanged, however. Marshall is going to do more than enough to be a points league start unquestionably because he's scoring a bunch he rebounds a bit uh we're even seeing a handful of assists these days but also he's running real hot right now that's the thing i want you guys to try to keep in perspective on the season he's a 44 percenter from the field who really doesn't do a ton defensively and actually doesn't rebound that much but with different guys out, that's forced him to elevate his rebounding numbers a little bit. The steals, he has six steals and a block in his last two ball games. He probably goes on a stretch now where he doesn't have a steal for two or three games at some point. Because he's not a big defensive stats guy. And his free throw number, which was running weirdly high, came crashing back to earth with a 5 for 10 in this last ball game. So would I use a Roto Gamescat slot on Najee Marshall? The answer is probably not right now. But would I start him in head-to-head points or category leagues? The answer is probably yes. Because then you just kind of take the good with the bad. Let him roll up the counting stats. Hope you catch him on those good days. And then, you know, for Roto, you don't have to worry about whether, what if you catch him on the bad day? You don't have to worry about it. So that's kind of where I sit with him. Um, and then Jose Verado had a, Alvarado had a better ball game here, but that was because CJ McCollum was sitting it out. All right, let's play the... Who didn't play over the weekend game as we turn the page back to a very large Friday card? And the answer is the Knicks were one of the teams that didn't go. R.J. Barrett's getting close until he's back. Emmanuel quickly remains startable, and I don't know why we even need to mention Quinton Grimes anymore. He's been a 12-teamer for about a month now. So just log it and move on. Milwaukee played on Friday and was terrible. And that's a team that seems to just kind of be feeling weird right now. They're still fine record-wise. The Bucks are 25 and 14, but they're 4 and 6 in their last 10. They haven't really shown much gusto on the road. This was a home loss to the Hornets. 
Drew Holiday, he hasn't quite been himself lately. Giannis hasn't been himself lately. Brooke Lopez has actually kind of maintained decent numbers. He's down at 24 again, but even he's tapered off. I just, I feel like this team needs Chris Middleton back to stabilize. The long season right now is kind of getting the best of the Bucks, but everything will be fine there. No, no valuation changes. At some point, I hope we'll see Middleton again. The Wizards were another team. Also had a really terrible game on Friday, so kind of hard to handicap them. Uh, but the one main takeaway without Bradley Beal for probably a week or two now is, first of all, Denny Avdia had a bad game. He's usually quite good when Beal is out. I would expect him to bounce back. If you don't trust it for a game, you can watch... Um, see if he plays better and then make a move. I think he'll be better in their next one. Daniel Gafford, that's the big winner in all this. He was terrible at the free throw line in this ball game, but overall he's generally like around a 70%er there. He is going buck wild. Field goal percent, rebounds, and defensive stats. He is a must roster, must start player, and there's very little that can knock me off of that positivity unless he comes out of the starting lineup. Denver didn't play over the weekend, but they're fully healthy right now, so there's not a whole lot to peel off from Denver. I think the only question we ever have there is, is KCP startable when the team is fully healthy? And I tend to like them more, actually, in that case, because he's more open, and he had a decent efficiency ball game here. Usually there's a steal or two involved in his number. Uh, Bruce Brown, can he maintain when the team is healthy? Sort of. Here's the thing about guys like KCP and Bruce Brown. I don't want to get too caught up in them because at the end of the day, if you didn't have KCP for a week and someone else picked him up and he had like a good week, you wouldn't feel that bad about it because like a good KCP week or a good Bruce Brown week would be just that. It'd be good. It's not a game changer. It's not a week winner. It's not a Roto League winner. These guys are fine. It's like asking, okay, well, do you think either of them can end at number 96? And I think for KCPs, the answer the answer is probably yes. And for Brown, the answer is probably no. But at the end of the day, they're going to be separated by like probably 20 slots in an area where one big ball game would actually flip them. Players are so bunched up, ranked between 90 and 130. There's almost nothing separating those guys. It's one good game, truly. So it kind of doesn't matter. And I hate to make that my fantasy analysis because this is supposed to be a show where it's like, hey, everything matters. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. I feel like I'm missing somebody, but was that it? I think that was it. Yeah, we're good. Okay, awesome. Weekend in review, complete. Promo free today, other than once again reminding you guys to follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris and follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Also, shout out, by the way, to the incredible work of our wagering division that had another winning month in December. They rolled it all together, looked at everybody's record. Uh, that's a pass that just pays for itself. So if you're dabbling, if you want to dabble in the sports betting, that's the place to do it. They are at EthosWagering. Opportunity to throw one more Twitter handle on the 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 pyre here and get them in your mix. Have a great Monday, everybody. We will break down this Monday. Oh, you know what? You guys always, ah, man, I almost forgot. Nope. Don't turn off the pod yet. We'll do a speed round through tonight's game. See what we're looking for. Pelicans. I want to see if Trey Murphy can kind of bounce back a little bit. Herb Jones, Najee Marshall. We just talked about them a second ago. Wizards. We just talked about them too. 
Not surprisingly, the teams that like Washington not playing over the weekend, Knicks are in the next one, Bucks. Of course, they're the first teams we talk about here. Uh, you know what I'm watching with Washington, Denny Avdia, Daniel Gafford specifically, but also you can kind of keep an eye on DeLon Wright, Monte Morris, things in that nature. Milwaukee, nothing really. I'm not paying attention to crap until we hear something good about Middleton. New York, nothing really other than the very obvious stream. Chicago, nothing. Boston, you can kind of watch Robert Williams, Al Horford, how they coexist. What are we moving towards with the Celtics? And also, what do Brogdon and Derek White look like with no Marcus Smart? San Antonio, Keldon Johnson, the question mark here. If he plays, I think it does change things pretty dramatically for all those fringe players. If he doesn't, do we bother? I'm leaning towards no. That's one of those, like, you know, we would talk about ROI and our fantasy trades on the podcast. I think the ROI on deep diving a pickup from the Spurs is going to be very low. Oh, I'm using all this work. I found this guy who's going to be, like, kind of fine for one day. Memphis, this just only comes down to whether or not Ja is healthy. Lakers, we, we talked about them a bunch. The only question is whether or not you're streaming Dennis Schroeder in games cap format. I lean towards no, but this will probably be a relatively high-scoring game, so maybe. Denver, do you play Bruce Brown and KCP? Uh, against the Lakers, I, I would say probably yeah, because the Lakers are not playing amazing defense. They're playing fine defense, like good enough to win, basically, with how good they've been on offense lately. But saying a lot more than last year, because the Lakers were pretty good on offense last season, and they did not guard anything. They had to score 140 to win because they gave up a layup on every possession, which, frankly, might be the case against Denver at full strength. Nuggets are scary good on offense when they're healthy. Orlando, we would already talked about them. The, the small things to sort of slip in there. What does Jalen Suggs' minutes look like? Uh, what does Bull Bull's role look like if he indeed is back in this one? What do those things impact of the players that are already out there for the Magic? And then for the Kings... There kind of isn't anything, because if Keegan Murray can't rebound for three games in a row, then I can't fully get behind it yet. I know he's been kind of fine lately, but it sort of, at least right now, feels like fine is kind of the ceiling for him. I mean, he's basically like, every time you turn around, he's ranked near 140 over the week, over the month, over the last two weeks, over the season, and it's because there's nothing else. He's not falling back on any other stats besides a couple of threes and a steal. I need the damn rebound. Or at least the percentages to come up a little bit. But, ah, the rebounds. Otherwise, nothing, really. Okay, now we're officially done. 50-minute show. That's enough for you guys. Go back to your Monday. Happy kids. Go back to school day for a lot of folks. Certainly here in California. I think there's some other states that also were off until today. And that's why you didn't hear any screaming in the background. So pleasant. <laughs>